Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Jennifer Roth. We are starting a series today that's going to take us through the end of July, and it's a series that we're calling Empower. It's a series about men and women and God's created design in male and female. And what does it look like to empower both men and women as individuals, as part of families and marriages, as part of the church, as part of the community, to walk in the fullness of what God had in mind when he created male and female. And we know that in our families this breaks down, in our culture this breaks down, even in our church this breaks down. And so we're going to spend the next few weeks exploring different ideas of how do we empower men and women to walk into the fullness that God created them for. What I want to do this morning is just set the stage for the series. I want to talk about what is the conversation that the church has been in for generations about men and women. How do we have that conversation, and why does the conversation matter, okay? So as we dive into this first part about what is the conversation, just fasten your seatbelts and hang on with me, because we've got some vocabulary words to learn, we've got some Bible verses to figure out, we've got, I've got a cable here behind me, and I'm just going to set out kind of a spectrum of the conversation that the church has been having about what the Bible says about men and women. So here's our first big word. Down on this end, we've got complementarian. Complementarian is a word that describes this viewpoint. Complementarianism affirms that men and women are equal in the image of God, but maintain complementary differences in role and function. In the home, men lovingly are to lead their wives and family as women intelligently are to submit to the leadership of their husbands. In the church, while men and women share equally in the blessings of salvation, some governing and teaching roles are restricted to men. So you've got a picture of what this kind of vocabulary word means, and and we're going to expand our understanding of that as we go this morning. So down here at the other end of the spectrum, we have egalitarian. And that's defined up here as... Egalitarianism holds that all believers, without regard to gender, ethnicity, or class must exercise their God-given gifts with equal authority and equal responsibility in church, home, and world. So the egalitarian picture is more one of that partnership where the complementarian is more one of that uh, responsibility and authority in the man's place, okay? One of the fundamental differences between complementarianism and egalitarianism starts in Genesis, the first few chapters of the Bible. And something that's really important to understand as we talk about this conversation is they actually come at the very beginning of the Bible from two different perspectives. So you remember the story in Genesis. God created on days one through five and he said, it is good. And then when he got to day six, he created Adam. And after he created Adam, he said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will create a helper suitable for him. So he put Adam to sleep. He took a rib. He created Eve. Adam woke up, said, she is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. I was teaching this one time to grade schoolers at a summer camp. And we were sitting around in Bible study. And I've told this story to some of you before. But I was teaching this story. And I said to the kids, I said, what do you think Adam thought when he first saw Eve? And one little boy said, hot damn. (laughs) Probably. (laughs) 
So we know that living in the garden in perfection, walking in the evenings with God, Adam had been told not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The serpent came, tempted them to eat. Eve held the conversation with the serpent, took a bite, gave the fruit to Adam. That was what we call the fall, when sin entered God's perfect creation. As a result of the fall, Adam and Eve recognized their nakedness. There was shame introduced in creation for the first time. They hid from God, and when he came to walk with them in the garden, he, of course, found them, and he cast them out of the garden, not out of punishment, but out of mercy, because in the garden was also the tree of life, and God didn't want his creation living eternally in the brokenness of their sin. And in that, he pronounced some curses of what was going to happen because sin had entered the world. And over the woman, he said, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. So you take this whole story and you look at the complementarian viewpoint. A complementarian would say that because God created Adam first and because Adam was the one who, from whom Eve was taken, that Adam was created with an authority and a responsibility for his family and for his wife, and that this was God's anointed design for how the relationship between male and female was to work. And in the perfection of the garden, in the lovingness of living the way that God created us to live, that would not be an abusive, hierarchical relationship, but it would be a God-honoring responsibility and authority to care for someone who actually loves being cared for because they're being cared for in a loving way. This was God's design. And so then, as a result of the fall, when that, when that curse is pronounced, the way a complementarian reads that passage is... Your desire will be for your husband, meaning your desire will be to usurp the authority and responsibility of your husband, and he will rule over you. So now instead of being able to be this loving relationship that God created, he's going to be ruling over you, and you're going to be trying to usurp. There's going to be this bitterness and this tension between male and female. So the egalitarian would lean a little bit more towards the, it is not good for man to be alone. I will create a helper suitable for him. And in creating woman and giving men and women uniqueness and distinctions, he's creating a mutual partnership that are both needed as he then says, go be fruitful and multiply, rule the earth and subdue it. It is not good for man to be alone. I give him a partner. Now go do this together. It needs both of you living in oneness to do the things that I am calling you to do would be the egalitarian perspective. So when the egalitarian hears the curse, they would hear that and interpret that as, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. The curse is the ruling over. It was never meant to be a rule over, be the boss of. It was meant to be a mutual partnership. So when both sides, complementarian and egalitarian, find the curse broken by Jesus, there's also two different responses then to what happens now that the curse is broken. Because see, if men and women are released, so complementarian, if men and women are released from the curse of women trying to usurp men's authority and men needing to then kind of in a domineering way rule over them, but they are then freed to live the way that Jesus called us to live, which Jesus said to consider the interests of others above our own, and that love is to lay down your life. And it brings us back to that perfection of the garden where the man gets to lead, have authority and responsibility in a way that the woman actually celebrates being husbanded that way because she loves and, and, and families want to live in a home where they're treated the way Christ treats the church. That's a beautiful redemption, if that is your perspective of what was happening in Genesis. 
The egalitarian would say that what happened at the breaking of the curse by Jesus is that we're restored to that mutual partnership where men and women are both one under Jesus and no longer are we going to have this domineering ruling over, but we're brought back into this place of mutual partnership to do the things that God calls us to do. Two very, very different views stemming from one scripture. Let's look at some scriptures. Some passages, and this is by no means a complete list, but these are some of the top verses that are kind of quoted. If you read complementarian stuff or if you read egalitarian stuff, these are some of the verses that you'll see. So this first one is 1 Corinthians 14, 34 and 35. Uh, It says through 36 there because um, we're going to talk about more of these passages in the weeks to come, just explaining why it's a little different because I'm kind of a type A person like that, and it bugs me. So I don't know if it bugs you, but it bugs me. Okay. Women should be silent during the church meetings. It's not proper for them to speak. They should be submissive, just as the law says. If they have any questions, they should ask their husbands at home, for it is improper for women to speak in church meetings. So coming from a complementarian viewpoint and reading that, it seems pretty clear that God is defining some roles and places that are not open to women that are reserved for men. And again, another just classic complementarian text would be uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, 11 through 15. This one says, women should learn quietly and submissively. I do not let women teach men or have authority over them. Let them listen quietly, for God made Adam first, and afterward he made Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived by Satan. The woman was deceived, and sin was the result. So this one not only gives some instructions for what women can and can't do, they can't teach or have authority over men, but it also affirms the complementarian view of what was happening in Genesis. It was because Adam was made first that God has given him authority and responsibility, and it was because Eve sinned first that God continues this establish and says that women should not have authority, should not teach. So you've got a pretty strong case for the way that you've interpreted the Bible from Genesis and the way that you interpret it on the way through. So for the egalitarian, uh, any egalitarian readings that you do, you're going to come up with this verse pretty quickly in the storyline. This is Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 26. This one says, For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. We are all God's heirs. The promise to Abraham belongs to all of us, male and female. And those hierarchical structures that were established in the Old Testament under the law as part of the brokenness of the fall before the redemption of Jesus, those are things that the curse does, that the redemption of the curse does away with. And we are now back to that mutual partnership of there is no male nor female distinction in the kingdom of God. So another one would be Acts 2, 17 and 18. The author of Acts in this passage is quoting from the Old Testament from the prophet Joel. So this was something that was spoken before the time of Christ. And then the author of Acts is saying, we are in this time now. And what he says here is, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. 
and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. Now, if you have an egalitarian perspective, you would look at this and you would say, to prophesy means to speak in the body of believers. The assembly of the believers is the church. Therefore, God is going to pour out his spirit on all people, men and women. Men and women are going to prophesy. Therefore, women are going to speak in the assembly. So which is it? Is it that women are to be silent or is it that women are to receive the spirit and speak in the assembly? I'm not giving any answers today. I'm just telling you what the conversation is. <laughs> okay? Although I, I will say that it is quite obvious that Salem Alliance leans a little egalitarian because I am the one giving the message. I, I do see that, okay? I'm aware of that. What we need to recognize is that our position on this influences our expectations and our approach to male and female and to issues between men and women in family, in marriage, in the church, and in culture. So as we start to talk about how we have this conversation, one of the things we need to recognize is that this conversation, in as much as it is between people who love the Lord, who seek to serve him, who are students of his word and who want to honor his word, we are having this conversation with the big C church in the body of Christ who people want to honor God. And we are not as far apart as we think we are. And part of what happens in this conversation is we go out here to the extremes. The extremes that are beyond biblical complementarianism or biblical egalitarianism. And we start to say, well, you guys believe this. Friends, out here, outside the realm of biblical complementarianism, that's the place where Whole societies who put down women, who, who their structure is such that in her own home, a woman has no more say than a servant or a slave. She's, an, she's a piece of property to her father who can sell to the highest bidder to become his wife. Those are outside of what we're talking about. These extremes where a woman is told in the name of biblical Christianity that she needs to turn the other cheek to her physically abusive husband because God wants her to honor him in submission. That is outside the realm. It might sound like biblical truth, but it does not re re represent the character of the God that we know. That is outside of what we are talking about. The youth pastor who told a young woman in his youth group, you need to go back and take the spiritual gifts test again because God would never give a woman this gift of leadership. That is outside the realm of what we are talking about. Now hear me, a woman with the gift of leadership in a biblical complementarian congregation might be told that there were certain places that she could and couldn't use her gift, but to tell somebody that she could not be given the gift of leadership because she is female goes against the scriptures that say that God gives spiritual gifts to all people, that he would pour out his spirit on men and women alike. We don't get to say what gifts people have. So that is outside of biblically what we're talking about. At this extreme down here, the lie is that women are dangerous. The lie that the enemy wants us to believe at that extreme is that women are dangerous. And you know what? There's a lie down here at this extreme too. And the lie down here at this extreme is that men are bad. This is the extreme that would say, 
Gender has hurt us. Gender distinctions have hurt us. We need to neutralize gender and just say there is no difference and there is no distinction between male and female. They're all the same and equal means the same. And friends, that is outside of biblically what God said. God said he created them male and female distinctly different and yet it takes both to reflect the image of God. Out here in the extreme is where male bashing comes and men have become the but of the dumb man jokes and you look at TV shows like The Simpsons and others and it's all over the place where the, where the, the punchline of the joke is that some man is inept or he's stupid. Or, that is outside of what we're talking about. That is not okay. Look at a couple screenshots I pulled within the last couple weeks. Our society is leaning hugely anti-male right now. Should Father's Day be banned because it's disrespectful to single, sex, single mothers and same-sex couples? Hashtag Father's Day is so offensive to same-sex parents and single mothers. Stop the patriarchy and ban Father's Day and yes, all women and hashtag feminism. This is in this extreme. This is out here. This is not the heart of God and this is not the heart of the church. Matter of fact, let me just say with this hashtag feminism, part of what happens in this conversation is that the vocabulary gets too much triggering going on. And, and like feminism, it's kind of a trash term because do you know what it means when somebody says they're a feminist? Do, do I know what it means when somebody accuses me of being a feminist? If you're asking if I believe that all women have gifts and strengths and should be honored in the name of God, yes, I'm a feminist. But if you're asking if I think that men are bad and gender should be neutralized and actually that women are better than men, no, I'm not a feminist. These are terms that trigger emotions in us and we have to be careful that in the conversation we recognize that our vocabulary can only take us so far to help us understand each other and we have to be careful not to be triggered by words that have meant certain things along the way but we're actually listening to the person we're talking to, not allowing the vocabulary to become a problem. Or this one. Friends, this one breaks my heart. Women with an X. Do you remember when people first started writing Xmas? Christians were all up in arms because you're taking the Christ out of Christmas. Friends, how do we take the man out of woman? Is this, is this the goal? Is this the desire? Heavens, no. That is in the extreme. That is outside of what we're talking about in this conversation. That is not biblical egalitarianism. That is breaking the heart of God, and it's one of the plans of the enemy to rob our world of the true reflection of who God is in the image of male and female together. So how do we have this conversation? The first way we have this conversation is that we need to imitate the posture of Jesus. Any hard conversation that we're having, any conflict could be applied to what I'm about to tell you. Any place where we feel strongly and have strong opinions, we must enter the conversation by imitating the posture of Jesus who told us to put the interest of others in front of our own. As a matter of fact, in Ephesians 4, it says it this way. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 2. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit. Friends, on this issue, I believe the big C church has a divorce mentality. We've taken this issue and we've started, we've gone to other churches or we have made different denominations because we just can't agree and we gather together with people who think like us and I don't think that honors the heart of God. Jesus said that the world would know we were his Christ followers by the way we love each other. The way when we come at something, be it this 
or something else, and we have strongly different opinions, will we engage in that conversation with a passionate commitment to not divorce? (laughs) Using that term globally, not just in marriage, but that too. I'm guessing that in this room, some of you are married and you are facing some things that you disagree strongly on. Are you passionately committing to have that conversation with the one that you love in the most loving way possible? To not jump to conclusions or make assumptions or let the vocabulary trigger emotional responses that aren't what the person you care about is saying. Will we lean in to do everything we possibly can to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace because that is how Christ called us to live? Friends, if we defend our position on this at the expense of love, we know that we're not honoring God whether our position is right or wrong. It's this irony that we hold these positions because this one honor God or this one's honor God, but the way that we talk about it doesn't honor God. We have missed the boat completely if we have forgotten that he calls us to be humble and to be gentle and to be patient with each other and make allowance for each other's faults. We don't have this conversation perfectly, but are we slow to anger and quick to forgive? Friends, in this context, for me, being humble means the willingness to say, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. For generations, biblical scholars have studied this very thing, and they still cannot agree. It's that much of a mystery. You can look at the same Bible and end up anywhere on this spectrum. And I have to say, this is something that is coming from the divine God through his divine word. And the prophet Isaiah tells us that his ways are higher than our ways, and his understanding is beyond our understanding. And I cannot stand here in front of you and say that I know that I have the right interpretation of Scripture. I can't. That's not humble. Humility says, I could be wrong. I could get to heaven and find out that God's ideal plan for male and female leaned more towards the complementarian side of things. And would that be okay? I think it would. I don't think this is a salvation issue. I don't think this is a divide over issue. Will we walk in humility and gentleness? And how do we have this conversation? We have it by considering the interests of others. So this is a classic peacemaker principle. Peacemaker is a ministry that we have here at Salem Alliance. It's actually a national ministry, and it's, it's a training for how to walk in conflict. As a matter of fact, if you've never gone, pay attention to when the seminars happen. This is just good, healthy relationship building stuff. We even have conflict coaches who you can call the church talk with them, and they will uh, assign you a coach, and that person will just talk with you through the conflict that you're walking and how to have the conversations. They're not going to come to the conversations with you. They're just going to coach you and how to walk through your part of it, right? So one of the classic conflict principles is that we consider the interest of others. If we find ourselves somewhere on this spectrum, and we are entering into conversation with somebody who is on the other end of this spectrum, the best way to prepare to have that conversation in a humble, gentle way that prefers somebody else over ourselves is to start reading up on the other end of the spectrum. To start finding out what are their authors saying? What are their experiences? How are they answering questions about these Bible verses? If I'm a complementarian and I read 1 Corinthians and I see that it says women should be silent in the church, I need to read up on how are egalitarians explaining their position on that? Because if I'm going to approach the conversation from the assumption 
that I am having this conversation with God-fearing people who love him and want to honor him, and I want to believe the best about their heart, then I'm not just going to dismiss that because they think differently than me, they must be wrong or not valuing the Bible or whatever it might be. And so we consider the interests of others. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at some of the interests that I've identified as I've read stuff on both sides of this, what I see as some of the high values of both sides of this. So on the complementarian side... We've got biblical integrity. Clearly, that the, the arguments and the context and the fundamental belief system of the complementarian is that they want to lean on the Word of God, the interpretation of the Word of God, and not doubting what God is saying, even if it might not make sense. Friends, a lot of complementarians are not wanting to put down women, but they're looking at these passages and going, I don't know what to do with this passage if I don't believe the Bible means what the Bible says. I had someone say to me once that someone I love dearly said to me, Jennifer, you're one of the better communicators I've ever heard, and I don't know why Paul said what he said, but I have to believe the Bible means what the Bible says. This is the heart of the complementarian viewpoint that says, I want to honor God's word above my own understanding. Biblical integrity is super important to the complementarian. Going on, uniqueness of male and female. We talked about how out there at the extreme, the viewpoint is that there is no distinction between male and female. And the complementarian recognizes that because it takes both male and female to reflect the image of God, if we lose the uniqueness of male and female, we lose the image of God in the world. And that's not okay. That's an interest I agree with 100%. Another interest for the complementarian is healthy family. Watching what has been done when men have been devalued and not honored and valued for their role in family, so many have abdicated. We have all these single parent homes with men who have not understand the calling to what it looks like to be a godly husband. And they've walked away and we have single moms and we have abusive homes and we have divorce happening right and left. And a complementarian viewpoint that says in the redeemed following Jesus, submitted to him, loving others by laying down our life for each other, remember? A husband who is given authority and responsibility is called to something higher and leads his family in a way that his family delights to be led. Healthy family, that's an important value. One of the interesting things of doing this exercise of considering the interests of others is that you sometimes find out that your interests are more similarly aligned than you think. Because one of the top interests that I see under egalitarian is biblical integrity. One of the deepest wounds in this conversation is when one side looks at the other and says, you don't respect, you don't respect the Bible. You don't believe what God said. You, are, you have a low view of scripture. Or you're doing gymnastics with the Bible. These accusations against each other need to stop because both sides actually have a concerted interest in biblical integrity. The difference that I would say as it plays out is that for the complementarian, they're leaning in on literal interpretation. If this, says, if this verse says this, I need to literally interpret that verse. The complementarian fear is that if we cut out 1 Corinthians 14 and we cut out 1 Timothy 2, what else are we giving permission to cut out of the Bible? Right? So that literal interpretation, whereas on the egalitarian side, they lean more into the contextual interpretation. What's happening in the context of what was being written that might influence us in these places that we don't fully understand? What's happening in the culture, in, 
in Corinth, or later in the series we're going to talk about Ephesus, what's happening in that culture that the writer of the letter would have known and the people who received the letter would have known, but that you and I don't know because nobody wrote it down for us? Is there something in context that could make sense of women will prophesy and be filled with the Holy Spirit and women can't speak in church? Because God doesn't contradict himself, but that's an apparent contradiction in Scripture. So what contextually could, could clear up that mystery that, that you and I won't know, but that might explain the differences that we're seeing? So the complementarian leading into leaning into literal interpretation and the egalitarian leaning into contextual interpretation. Next, the egalitarian, the value of uh, male and female. Remember that fundamental place of it is not good for man to be alone. I'm going to make a helper suitable for him. In that suitableness is this value of both male and female and the things that we bring to the table. And it's when that happens together that the strength rises and we're able to step into what God called us into. And so we have to value both male and both female. I affirm the uniqueness of male and female and lean into the value of male and female. And finally, the egalitarian has a value on healthy family. They've seen too many families broken down by somebody who was brought up in the church and a male who was told that he gets to be the boss of his family and he's not living that out in a godly way. He's living that out in a selfish way and in an entitled way and his family is suffering. Now, that is out in the extremes and yet that is part of what an egalitarian is looking at at the breakdown of family. Have we set a culture and a structure that devalues women to the point that it is no longer healthy families and leaning into that design of God for mutual partnership to be the, the way for healthy families to work. So complementarians would lean into the traditional roles and the egalitarians would lean into the partnership, okay? When we consider the interests of others and we do that respectfully and lovingly and expecting the best in the people that we talk about, we recognize that this is not an easy conversation, we recognize that there actually is value on both sides of the conversation, and we realize that with humility, we entered in with gentleness and love. There is something that both of these sides agree on. We find it in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. Remember that in the first five days of creation, God said it was good, and then God looked over all he had made on that sixth day when he made men and women, and he saw that it was very good. Both sides of this spectrum agree that God's creation, God's intention, the way he made us to function is very good. It is very good, friends. <laughs> we all agree on that, and yet it plays out differently based on how you interpret this word. So from that place of agreement, let's talk about why this conversation matters. This conversation matters because we are not living in God's very good. Look at our world. Look at our families. Look at our marriages. We are not living in God's very good. And whichever end of the spectrum you lean towards... We know that we're not living in God's very good. And so how do we have this conversation? Why do we have this conversation? This conversation matters because we need to reflect God's very good to the world. Remember, it takes both male and female to reflect God's image to the world. The world needs the church to figure this out so that we can reflect his very good to them. 
We are the only image that an unsaved world sees of an invisible God. We must live this out humbly and in love. We can't stay out at the extremes where wounding happens. We can't, we can't live in that place where men are the butt of the jokes and where they ha- are left to figure out their position in their home without offending other people but without disappearing, where women are objectified and abused and told that they don't belong, where, where maybe you have this gender wound where your mom wanted a boy but she got a girl or wanted a girl and got a boy or some coach or some pastor or some neighbor said something over you that just struck at the core. Because friends, part of the reason why this conversation matters is because it's personal. All of us are either a male or a female. It's one of the first things identified about us when we're born, and it's part of the intimate part of our identity. It's not our whole identity. The primary piece of our identity is that we are children of God, and he is perfect, and in so, he is perfecting us. And yet our gender is an intimate part of who we are, and the wounds that come because of the various places on this spectrum and the the extremes out there, those are deep wounds. And this conversation matters. Friends, I've had people tell me, in the theological conversation. Jennifer, it's theology, it's not personal. And I have to take a step back and say, I, it, it is personal. It's personal because I'm a woman. And it's personal because what you're saying reflects the nature and character of God and what I believe his heart is towards me. And whether you're a complementarian or an egalitarian, the theological conversation is a personal conversation because it is where we derive our personal actions and the way that we live our life and the way that we engage in relationship with each other. One more quote as we wrap up. And this one comes from the hashtag Me Too. I am not making a statement about the Me Too movement. I think there's probably good and bad involved in the whole thing. But this was, a, this was something that we need to hear. A woman said, uh, the me, hashtag Me Too had been amazing and celebrates the fact that men are afraid of women for the first time. Celebrates the fact that men are afraid of women for the first time. That is not our goal. This is why the world needs us to reflect God's very good. Why is it that our world feels like if women have been subjected, then the only way to get them up is to push men down? And if you don't like the way that looks, then the only way to get them back up is to push them down. Friends, in the body of Christ, we are not on a teeter-totter. This isn't about who has the most power and who has the most. It's just not. If it's a pendulum and God's very good is here and we see this extreme so we swing back over here and then we we see this extreme so we swing back over here and we're never living in God's very good because we're just swinging back and forth past it every time. We have to do this better. We have to have this conversation. We have to lean into what is God's very good for male and female in the world that he created. As we wrap up, I'm going to invite my husband to join me. Because we really believe that both male and female need healing from these wounds and need empowerment to live into the fullness of our created destiny. So would you all stand and join us as we just pray over this church and over you? Father, again, as we stand before you, we are your sons and daughters who live in a broken world, shadowed by sin, Influenced by broken relationship, by the deception of the enemy, by the twisting of scripture, by the inability to have loving conversations with other Christ followers without being defensive or accusatory, 
or saying things that are wounding. God, I want to pray healing in your name over gender wounds. I want to pray healing to those young men who were told real men don't cry and who had expectations placed on them because of their gender that were unrealistic expectations. In Jesus' name, I want to pray healing over those women who have had demeaning things set over them, who have been told that they don't measure up or they can't have that job or they need to make themselves pretty so they can attract a good husband. They've had expectations set on them because of their gender that were, that were not right. God, I pray your healing presence to go into those places where we have believed lies especially in those places where it has to do with our gender, and speak your truth. Silence the lies of the enemy and speak your truth. And God, in this healing place, I pray that you would release forgiveness. Because for those of us who have been wounded, who have been hurt, who have been offended and are holding resentment, we know that the way to freedom is through forgiveness. So where we have leaned on unforgiveness, Father, convict us, Forgive us and release forgiveness in our midst that we might be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. Release wisdom, Father, and release healing. Thank you for making us female. Thank you for the gift in that. And thank you for making us male and the gift in that. Thank you for your good work. Thank you for the good work of unity that you've brought among us in the past. And we will proclaim, proclaim and release your gift of unity among our church and among our congregation and among marriages in it in the future because you've done well. You've done what is good. Manifest your goodness here. May the goodness and gifts inherent in our gender manifest and show themselves so that your spirit can be poured out in increasing measure. Come, Holy Spirit. Release giftings for women. Fulfill your destiny for them. May all the good things you've placed in them come out and come to pass. We pray for a blessing on men, that they walk in freedom and release. Because we want to see your kingdom come. And so we both ask and declare that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven healing emotional wounds and causing us to walk in freedom right here and right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Salem Alliance Church is a community of Jesus followers located in downtown Salem, Oregon. And we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. You can view today's entire service online at livestream.com backslash Salem Alliance.